Hi, hello. Welcome to the Mavs Moneyball podcast. This is Josh Bow, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyball.com. Joining me this week, we've got one of our draft experts, uh, draft experts, one of our draft guys. We've got Ian Cobb, one of our staff writers. Ian, how's it going? Pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. We're uh, recording this as Bucks Raptors are in the second half of game five. And since the Mavericks aren't in the playoffs and they're trying to get back there, uh, we some off-season things have finally started to happen. First, we had the uh, the draft lottery a couple weeks ago, and then late uh, today the All NBA teams got announced, and that kind of affects the Mavericks' free agency plans. So, with Ian being one of our big draft guys and actually knowing some of these guys that I can never keep track of. Uh, we figure we bring him on and let's talk about some of the possibilities since now we know that the Mavericks won't have their first rounder, but they'll have their second rounder, the 37th overall pick. Um, Ian, I guess the first thing I want to ask is, you know, this has been considered by a lot of people to be a weak draft. You know, it's pretty much Zion and then it kind of drops off a cliff. Um, with a lot of people talking about how weak it is, do you feel like that there's a chance that the Mavericks can get a player with the 37th overall pick compared, you know, especially when you compare last year's draft where it felt like some of the, some of the picks in the thirties could have been first round guys or at least first round talents. Uh, And it seems like this year is way different. Yeah. Well, you know, definitely in terms of the, the top end, you know, the top of the draft, it's quite clearly a down year. Obviously Zion is, uh, a, a unique prospect, someone who would be at the top of pretty much any draft, but after him, it gets pretty murky. Um, you know, you could really make an argument for the second best guy being any number of players. You know, I, I think at this point, it looks pretty clear that John Morant's going to go too, but you know, um, that that might have been different depending on you know which team ended up getting that that selection. Uh, regardless though, I, I think every year is an opportunity to find a player. I mean, uh, I think back to 2013, which was, uh, also considered a pretty down year, you know, that was the year Anthony Bennett went first, Nerlens Noel was kind of considered the, uh, you know, default top prospects, but then he got hurt. Uh, and yeah, the, the rest of the top 10 it was pretty bad, but, uh, then you also had, I think, whatever, 18th or 17th, uh, Giannis was selected. And then somewhere, I think, around 27th, Rudy Gobert got picked. So even when it's a, a quote-unquote bad draft, and, and obviously this is all – it's always opinion, right, because no one knows for sure. Even in a, a down draft, there's chances to find quality you know, in, in the lottery, outside the lottery, and, and maybe even in you know the early second round. So – you know, it's just a matter of, of I think, tr- trusting your board, doing the work, and uh, and putting, make sure you're putting a guy in the right situation, which I think more often than people give credit for really plays a big role in, in how players develop. Guys who have the skills but don't find themselves in the right situation, in the right system, you know, you, you need to have all the pieces in place to make it work. For sure. I mean, we see that in Dallas with some of their draft picks uh, not working out, and you think about if they would have been, you know, on another team in another situation that might have been a little bit more uh, patient, you know, when the Mavericks have been drafted in the first first or two, second round the last, you know, 20 years. But um, we had the NBA Combine recently. Did that help you? 
identify or learn anything. I feel like, you know, that's the next kind of step for trying to get some information. I don't know if you learn anything new at the combine necessarily, besides maybe being, you know, wowed by some measurements, but was there anything that caught your eye in terms of influencing how you, you would lean towards what kind of player the Mavs take at 37? Yeah, well, it was, it was interesting. I think what's become a a big trend is that uh, there are a lot of guys that sit out the combine, you know, uh, when you think about the way the draft works, it's sort of a, a situation where players are at the mercy of whoever takes them. Agents don't really have a lot of control in that situation. And the combine kind of represents the one chance where agents can kind of dictate the terms of, you know, which teams get the medical reports, which teams they allow to interview the players, which teams they'll, you know, see in, in drills and, and workouts and stuff like that. So, you know, there was a lot of players who who didn't participate, which is kind of a, you know, it's a a disappointment, but that's just kind of a reality of of the way things work. Um, uh, There are there were a couple of interesting things, I guess, one of like the big sort of things that kind of came out of nowhere or not so much nowhere, but that took me by surprise was uh, and I talked about this in our our Slack uh, Taco Fall, the um, enormous giant. alien-sized human being from uh, uh, Central Florida, I think, broke every combine record uh, that's ever been in terms of uh, wingspan, like standing reach. I mean, I, I, I think he had, yeah, just an absolutely inhuman numbers that, that sound like cartoonish, like something you would create in a video game. And, um, you know, I, he was a guy that I, obviously a lot of people were aware of him. He was on the radar because he's so unique in terms of his size, but I never really considered him a serious draft candidate until the combine, not just because of the crazy measurements, but because he also, you know, he dropped some weight. He looked a a little bit more mobile and, and you kind of saw a little bit of a hint of where he could actually theoretically fit in an, uh, on a NBA team you know, especially now that there are a lot of teams that use zone more, you know, like the Miami Heat or Brooklyn, teams like that. Like, you know, in years past that this would have been a guy I think a lot of people would have, um, you know, written off. But just he, he presents such a unique profile that you, you, you almost have to kind of give him a second look. And I think there's a chance that he gets drafted now, to be honest, which uh, – you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I wish him the best. I hope he, he finds the right situation. Yeah, and especially with the trend now, uh, with, the, with the five spot, it seems like a lot of teams are leaning in the direction of it's not necessarily, you know, obviously small ball is kind of what is taking over the league right now. But I think teams are realizing that centers aren't, ne- you know, centers and true fives aren't necessarily useless now, but maybe we don't need to invest a lot of high value assets, whether it's picks or cap space or, or what have you. So it seems like a lot of teams are, you know, leaning towards, you know, Hey, we need a, we need a five, but we can't invest too much in it because, you know, the position can get played off the floor so easily in the playoffs. So that might offer him an opportunity. Like in the, you know, teams will definitely spend a second rounder because those really do seem like lottery tickets a lot of the time for, you know, in ter- terms of who, what team is drafting and, Especially, you know, you look at what Mitchell Robinson did in his rookie year and, and maybe teams are going to be like, well, you know, if if he can find something like that in the second round, you know, why are we spending 
10, 15, 20 million a year on a, on a, on a player that could not see the floor in crunch time in a playoff game. So I wonder if that, if that narrative or that kind of mindset around teams around the league might help him uh, get pushed into the second round, you know, as well as his good combine showing. Um, but I don't think he's probably with the Mavs rotation. I don't think he's going to be a, a candidate, but yeah, like I remember you talking about him and he's definitely very interesting. I think he's got like a 10 to standing reach. Yeah. So, so that means he can flat footed dunk a basketball, which just kind of blows my mind. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, and in terms of the Mavericks now, I feel like, you know, every team needs three and D wings. Like it's no secret. Um, uh, so in this draft, I feel like that's what the Mavericks probably need the most when you consider kind of where their roster is that, you know, they've got a lot of guards and they've got a lot of bigs. So, you know, they kind of need some more help on the perimeter with some length and size. Do you see any potential guys like that? that could be in that range for the Mavs? Yeah, well, I, I think just to, to sort of sidetrack your question for a second, I the thing that I'm, I'm kind of starting to think about with the Mavericks and in terms of this pick is that uh, just because of, I, I think, what their plans are going to be in free agency and because of uh, the, the, the number of roster spots they already have occupied at this point, my, my thought is that they what they may try and do is take a player either – uh, an international player that they could stash overseas for a year or two, or maybe more intriguingly, take a guy who's kind of undervalued right now because of injury, uh, and there's a couple of guys like that, and then spend a year kind of rehabbing that player, keeping him on ice. So, you know, and uh, one of the guys who, you know, he's sort of more uh, combo forward, maybe more, maybe down the line, he'll be more of a true power forward but definitely a, a guy with a three and D profile is uh, Trumo KK from from Auburn. He had an ACL injury uh, in the tournament. Um, uh, I've, I actually forget which which game it was, but after Auburn had made a really deep run and they were looking like they could be a, a surprise challenger in the Final Four, uh, and he was their best player, so it was kind of a big letdown. But you know, he's a guy that's um, you know, he, he blocks shots, he gets a lot of steals, he's athletic, you know, like six, eight, six, nine, he's got enough sort of, um, muscle to profile well as like kind of a modern four and he's developing a, a jump shot. And, you know, he's, he's really more of a role player. I don't think he's someone that, you know, you, you look at it as having star upside, but, um, because of the injury there, I feel like there's a chance that he could slide into the second round, into that 37-pick range. Um, it's worth noting, though, that he sat out of the combine. He, he chose to withdraw, so there's been some sort of whispers that somewhere, some team in the, the late 20s, maybe something like that, has uh, has made him a guarantee and that they're, they're planning on kind of hiding him. But if, uh, if he does fall, that's a really intriguing player that probably won't be able to play, at least certainly not in like the first half of next year, but He's a guy that, if you're patient and you develop him, could really be great value, and you could end up getting a real bargain, uh, you know, in the second round. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, he gets a lot of steals. If you, uh, our friend of the site Cosmos on on Twitter, who does a lot of breakdowns of uh, tr- potential draft picks and prospects, 
one of his big indicators is kind of like steal rate and, and things like that. Apparently that uh, this is something that I'm still trying to grasp, but like, apparently that's a really good indicator uh, for that. You know, if you're someone that can get a lot of steals in college, I don't know exactly the correlation, but it seems like that's uh, something that kind of makes it to the next level and kind of determines if you're going to be like a good defensive playmaker or something like that. Do you, are you, you it sounds like you're kind of, you kind of follow that logic as well. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. I think that um, you, I mean, there, there are players that end up turning into good, decent NBA pro- or players that don't have a high steal rate in college, but the vast majority of the, the good players uh, were, yeah, major had high steal rates in college. It's so, an indicator, not just of athleticism, but also of awareness, anticipation, you know, the really good defensive players and, and just, I think, generally good players. Like, even if you're not an incredible defensive player, being able to play team concept uh, is really big defensively. And it just shows sort of IQ, awareness, anticipation, things like that. I think it's a, a really important indicator. And I, I'm definitely a believer in that. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm still trying to get a hang of this as I barely can watch any college ball during the season. Uh but yeah, I remember seeing Auburn. I believe they beat uh, Kansas, right? Or did he? Was he? Or did they lose to Kansas? I can't remember off the top of my head. I know they played Kansas. So I think they beat them, right? Sorry, hold on one second. I'll go pull it up here. Yeah, yeah that might have been. I wonder if he got hurt in that game because I feel like they upset Kansas and the, and then maybe he got hurt in either the next game or or that game. But either way, yeah, that sounds like a player that the Mavericks could certainly use. Um, they definitely need. Uh, they just need rangy, you know, six six to six eight, six nine guys, you know, because when you look at the roster right now, you know, they have Luca, and he's obviously not going to be a, you know, you're never going to count on him to be a lockdown guy. And then they've got Dorian Finney Smith, who is a good defender, but he just cannot seem to get uh, his shooting right. Uh, and then after that, you know, there's not too much on the Mavs roster right now that you could consider like a true wing. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr., but, you know, we know he's kind of an inconsistent player. Courtney Lee, who's an older veteran who won't, he isn't part of the big picture. So, yeah, more play. If there's players like that in that range for 37, you know, I hope the Mavs can roll the dice and, and take a shot, especially last year when there seemed to be four or five of those type of guys in the second round and they took Brunson, who ended up being, you know, a great pick. But uh, the Mavs certainly have enough guards right now. So I feel like if they take another guard or, they take another big uh i'm not really sure you know what their thought process there will be yeah so just to uh update here yeah they beat kansas and then north carolina uh which was the game that okk got hurt and then they ended up losing to virginia in the final four uh actually in that crazy fashion um Virginia had a whole bunch of those sort of like just insane nail biter endings. And that, that was another one where they, they had the lead late and then there was that crazy like, and one and yeah, but uh, they had a great run and, and yeah, it was a shame that OKK didn't get a chance to be a part of that. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I remember, yeah, those Virginia games all kind of, it felt like every game they played was like three overtimes in the the tournament this year. So let's, uh, that's kind of a good little draft primer. I know we will probably talk more and we will write more about the draft the closer we get to it. But I wanted to switch gears real quick and keep talking about offseason planning, but this time free agency because I know this was a topic of discussion in our Slack today. And Kemba Walker made the All-NBA third team, and because of that, he's now eligible for what 
what is now known as the Supermax extension or the Supermax contract. So if he did not make an All-NBA team, I believe the max he could have gotten from Charlotte was five years, $190 million. And now he can get five years, $221 million or $220 million, somewhere in that that range. I don't know the you know the exact number, but basically a thirty million uh, increase. Yeah. The Mavericks can offer, I believe, it's four years, one hundred and forty. So <laughs> now Charlotte has an, an eighty million dollar advantage in money in terms of trying to keep Walker, you know, away from the Mavs, who are heavily rumored uh, to pursue him from you know very well placed sources, and you can't really get more well placed with the Mavs than Mark Stein, and he said that. You know, Walker was a target. So I, I, I don't know about you, but it felt like to me, you know, this kind of felt like the end of maybe that pursuit that might be, you know, jumping the gun way too early. But I know a lot of people might be thinking, well, look at what's happening with the Wizards and John Wall. You know, look at Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook. Um, I can't, I don't know if Chris Paul got the super max, but just look at Chris Paul, who's on a max in Houston. And just giving these big, you know, these huge contracts that eat up so much of your cap to these guards that are getting closer to their 30s. And it's tough. And with Kemba, you know, he's smaller than all of those guys, you know, maybe not as, you know, maybe around Paul size, but small, definitely smaller than Wall and Westbrook. And he's 28 and he'll be 29, I believe, when this season, the next season tips off. And yeah, there's some. There's some risk there that Charlotte might not want to dive into. But for me, I feel like with MJ as their owner, they just don't seem like the type of team that's going to strip it, strip the team down all the way to the nuts and bolts and and do like a proper rebuild. Um, that's just my thought. Maybe I'm off base because maybe MJ does not want to pay luxury tax on a team that is, you know, 10th or 11th or ninth uh, in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, maybe that might be a saving grace. But I feel like with Walker making the all NBA team today, you know, with that super max, I feel like, you know, I just don't see how, if that contract is on the table, how he leaves Charlotte. Yeah. When you say it out loud like that, the $80 million bump, that, that's yeah. pretty significant. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, I guess first, yeah, I agree with your assessment. It, it, it seems like with, with MJ being, you know, involved and, and Mitch Kupchak that, you know, they're not going to go the route of just blowing it all up and rebuilding. Uh, I, I would, I think you could make the argument that that might be the smarter move just because, yeah, investing that kind of money in, in a, a small guard who's really reliant on speed and quickness, um, you know, that, that seems like a, a high risk factor and there's just not really a, a lot of room for that team to improve. I mean, I think they still have Nick Batum for another two years or another year or two, something like that. I think he's he has a player option yeah, for uh, 2020, 21. So, yeah, it's it's just hard, you know. I guess Charlotte was in the playoff mix for a little bit uh, this year, and then they kind of fell down at the end. You know, there's definitely an opportunity for them to sneak into, you know, the eighth, seventh seed, something like that. But hosting a playoff series just doesn't seem realistic for them. And, you know, even with Kemba and I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough situation. I don't envy that team that, you know, that decision. But as far as the Mavericks go, you know, 
I, I can totally understand why people were excited about the idea of adding Kemba Walker. He's a dynamic playmaker and, you know, you, you really can't have enough of those guys. And he's by all accounts, a, a good guy, a good teammate. He worked really hard. You know, there was a, a time where he kind of seemed like he was not, not so much a bust, but a, a guy who wasn't going to really, um, you know, make good on the promise of his, you know, his prospectum, but uh, he's turned into a really good player and had a really nice career. And, you know, I, I so I, I totally get why he was someone that was on the Mavericks radar. But, you know, I, I could sort of, for me, I, I feel like looking at the way the roster is constructed, uh, if you're assuming that Porzingis is going to come back healthy, I, I really feel like it's more incumbent on Dallas to find defensively minded players to put around Luka as well as shooters to put around Luka. Uh, you know, Kemba's offensive fit, you know, I'm not not too worried there. I mean, he might take touches away from Porzingis, but that's a, you know, a nice problem to have. But defensively, just the idea of committing long-term for the next four years or, or more to Kemba and Luka defensively in, in the backcourt, that didn't necessarily excite me. Uh, I know I know a guy that you've been banging the drum for for a long time is is Patrick Beverly, and that's the type of player that I think Dallas could really be in a better position to uh, to get on a, a good deal with good value, and he's you know on a short term deal even, and he's someone that could really provide I think a better fit in terms of you know uh, defensive identity. Uh, he would be a culture setter. And then he can also spot up and shoot and also do some, you know, secondary playmaker stuff while still leaving plenty of touches on the table for, for Luca and, and KP. And, you know, I think getting, instead of going big with the $30 million, you know, max player, getting a one or two, you know, maybe better fitting role players might just be the more pragmatic move for Dallas at this stage, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I have a lot of thoughts on a couple of things you said. And and first off, you're right. I'm the big Patrick Beverly guy. That's like the, not a secret at all. I, you know, like you said, he just ticks all the boxes. Like when you, if you just take out a pen and paper or you open a note note on your computer or on your phone and you type out, okay, what are the attributes I need from a point guard that, to play next to Luca? Since, you know, Luca is the de facto point guard, but you know, you need someone to kind of match up with the position defensively. And you go through and you go, okay, I need someone who can guard ones and ones and hopefully can switch onto twos. You know, I need someone that can hit spot up threes. And then I need someone who doesn't necessarily need a bunch of touches on offense to get going. And that's Patrick Beverly. And, you know, I feel like you couldn't create a more, you know, almost you can't even create a more perfect fit next to Luca in terms of someone that you need at the guard spot. Because that's a big concern for me, you know, if the Mavericks get Kemba or if they don't or whichever direction they go, you know, they need a guard that can guard ones and twos credibly because that that player is not on the roster right now. You know, maybe Brunson can turn into a quality defender, but, you know, I'm not sure about that right now. And, you know, other than that, they don't really have, you know, they got Berea and then, you know, Devin Harris might come back. But, you know, you can't rely on those guys, you know in terms of team building when you're thinking about the future. So they definitely need that. And Beverly checks all the boxes. I just love what he does. And I think when I started looking into him more, you know, a couple months ago, I think the thing that surprises me most about him is he's not like, he's a great shooter. I mean, just from his, from a numbers standpoint, you know, I don't know if there's some, some noise to those numbers, you know, if he's, 
if his percentages look better than what his impact is throughout a game, but he's a 38 to 40% shooter for like the last five years on, you know, five attempts a game. You know, that's not like, you know, it's not like a league average guy. Like he's, he's close to 40% for his career. And that kind of surprised me. I kind of forgot about that about him. Yeah. I think early in his career, he was kind of one of those guys who could disappear, you know, especially in like against high quality, top quality opponents, playoff type opponents, but he's worked really hard. You know, I, I just think he's another example of a guy who, you know, he, I, I believe he was a second round pick, but he, he didn't come to the NBA right away. He played overseas. Um, and just wasn't given anything and had to really work really hard to get to where he's at and, and scratch and claw for every inch that he's earned. And, and I think that shows he's just a guy that that's worked really hard and he's a self-made player who, you know, I, I, he's not a star. He's not a guy that you're going to build your team around, but good teams have to have players like that who just, who know their role, who do the little things who are tough and uh, and yeah, I mean the the, the shooting is almost a, a bonus when you think about it. Just his defense is that good, but I think he has made himself into a, a really reliable spot up shooter. Yeah, and the way I, I think Kirk has kind of said it, or someone else is, I've seen this elsewhere on Twitter or somewhere else, and he's got a little Deshaun Stevenson in him in terms of kind <laughs> sure. of an edge. And I feel like if you're building around Luca, you know, nothing, you know, not saying anything poorly about Luca, just you always need a guy like that, like that has that edge that can get under the skin of the other team. And, you know, I think Luke is going to do that a lot, actually, to be honest with the way yeah. his style, but, you know, maybe in terms of, you know, a defensive edge, you know, Beverly kind of brings that. And I want to get back before we go, I want to get back to Kemba. You know, I think everything you said about, you know, being weary of investing, you know, that much into one player who is more of a one side of the ball guy, even though I know Kemba tries really hard on defense and everything I've read and seen about him is he works really hard at it, but you know, he's just physically, he's just at a disadvantage a lot uh, just in terms of his size and his length. Um, But I think an underrated aspect about Kemba that the Mavericks might need that really, I didn't think about until Dirk's last home game. And when Rick Carlisle after the game was talking about it, when he talked about how, when Reggie, he was coaching the Pacers when Reggie Miller left Indiana. And he said, we had two down years, even though those two teams were two extremely talented teams. Cause he said, no matter what you do, you just cannot re- replace, you know, the impact that a franchise cornerstone has not just, you know, on the court, just how that, that attitude permeates throughout a franchise and, and the work ethic and, and the attitude and the culture and all that stuff we kind of talk about with the Mavs that we can't quantify, but you know, it seems to have some real tangible impact on how a team goes. And I wonder, you know, with Dirk leaving, and this will be the first first Maverick season without Dirk in, in 20, 21 years, maybe Kemba, a lot of Kemba's value could be filling, you know, a small part of that hole and, and trying to, stabilize the franchise with a veteran presence that's not just like a veteran presence in terms of Berea or Harris, but someone who can back it up on the court in terms of being all-star caliber and now all NBA caliber, you know, that's a big deal. And uh, I feel like maybe an underlooked aspect of maybe him coming to the Mavs could be him helping with that area because, 
you know, I think Luca is a good kid and I think he can be a leader, you know, on the team, you know, he's still 20 years old and you can't really expect him to carry himself that the way Dirk did, you know, it took Dirk years, you know, to kind of fill that role, you know, once Steve Nash and Michael Finley left. So, you know, it's not automatic and you can't even, you can't ask Luca to be Dirk because no one can be Dirk, but I just wonder if uh, if the Mavericks do somehow find a way to get Kemba, I wonder if that'll be a big part of him helping the team will be kind of filling those shoes a little bit. You know, obviously no one can do it, can fill Dirk's shoes completely, but I wonder if that would just help. And I wonder if that's part of the reason the Mavericks are as interested as they are, besides just the fact that he might be a big free agent that will actually maybe join their team for, for once in a while. For sure. I mean, I, I think – it can't be or it shouldn't be understated or underestimated the impact that, that Dirk's had, even as someone who's not, you know, putting up crazy numbers anymore. Uh, we, we shouldn't take it for granted that Dallas was able to be, you know, in playoff contention and, and you know, win 50 games a year, year after year. There's That didn't happen by accident. That's something that, you know, is a testament to Dirk's greatness and how just um, – you know, there was the trickle down effect of his uh, of his play and how, you know, he led by example and, and how he practiced and how he, you know, just uh, put so much into preparation for the season. And that's something that, you know, Dallas will have to work really hard to, to make sure that they don't lose that aspect of their their team identity and their culture. That'll definitely be on Carlisle for sure. But also, you know, Luca and Porzingis, you know, I think. In terms of, you know, play style, Porzingis does replicate a lot of the things that Dirk did, but, you know, I, I you can't just swap out, you know, player for player and think it's going to be exactly the same. That's just not how sports work. You know, it, 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 there's something definitely intangible in there that, that helps, you know, um, sort of solidify things and makes it so that, you know, the sum is greater or, or you know, whatever, the, the team is greater than the sum of its parts and, uh, you know, I, I like I said, going back to Kemba, it's a star league. Like that's no no secret. You know, um, especially watching the playoffs, pretty much every team has at least two, if not three, star quality players. So from that perspective, it it makes total sense why Dallas would be in on Kemba. And who knows? I mean, um, maybe Kemba is frustrated with the way things went in Charlotte. You know, maybe he is the type of player who would turn down you know, that extra money it, just to have a, a, a better situation or a better whatever. I, you know, you can't rule that out. I, um, yeah, I, I don't know, but, but I agree with you a hundred percent that um, Dirk leaving will, it'll be really interesting to see how the team adjusts and how the team culture changes because that's, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about, but 20 plus years uh, he's been a fixture and, you know, that's not something that you can just assume will, you know, be replicated by some other players that are, are quote unquote talented or good. You know, it's, it's something uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, they go about, you know, keeping things uh, on an even keel. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, you know, this off season is base. It feels like it's just starting, you know, with the Kemba news, the all NBA team, we have the combine and the lottery. So it's heating up and who knows where they'll be in, in about a month and a half or, you know, you know, by, by the end of July, you know, the Mavericks outlook will be drastically different and we'll, we'll be able to talk more about that. But in the lead up, we'll be writing more. We'll be talking about it more. Ian and Jordan will be, uh, you know, 
covering the draft as well as they can, even though the Mavericks don't have a first round pick. So you'll see more of that on the site. And of course we will keep going through free agency profiles and we'll get to Kemba and we'll get to some of the other guys, uh, maybe some of the smaller options that the Mavericks can, can go after if they don't, if they don't land a big fish and, There'll be a lot to talk about, and Ian, I'm sure we'll we'll do this again as we get closer to the draft and after the draft if the Mavericks, uh, you know, get somebody, and and we'll uh, reconvene then. So, Ian, I appreciate you uh, coming on tonight, being on the East Coast, and being a little late. Absolutely, no, I definitely look forward to talking more draft and more free agency as uh, we get deeper into that. Yeah, so it'll be a good time. Uh, that'll be it for us this week. So, thank you for listening to the Mavs Moneyball podcast. We'll see you next time. Yeah.